no one could see this because it's audio only, but I love that behind Jared is just a <laughs> stacks and stacks of boxes. I think that's very apropos for Air Mule. <laughs> The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 295. All giant pandas outside of China are technically on loan from the country, which means that when a baby panda is born, it's shipped by FedEx to China to help expand the gene pool. I'm not sure I'd want to be a passenger on that flight. There are a lot of awesome reasons to travel with just a carry-on, but in today's episode, we're going to talk about something that I never knew existed before, that you can actually make money by traveling with just a carry-on by using a service called AirMule, and we're going to get into how it works and all the details and the nitty-gritty of how to use AirMule in today's episode. But what is so absolutely awesome is if you take just one trip and you use AirMule one time for two pieces of checked bags, that will actually make you enough money to buy a Tortuga backpack. So if you are traveling with just a carry-on, which I recommend, especially if you're going to be using AirMule, you want to make sure that you're traveling with the best travel carry-on out there. And as all of you know, that to me is the Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. So you can find all the stuff that Tortuga is doing over at tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget, you can use a promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, to get 10% off your entire order. So if you're someone who's not on the carry-on bandwagon yet, after today's episode, I think you're going to be. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sher, and joining me today is someone who is looking to revive the somewhat forgotten idea of air couriers, something that I've always been fascinated and intrigued by, and whose company could probably save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars on your flights, and I know everyone wants to hear about that. Jared Schwitzky, the marketing manager and the first employee of Air Mule. Jared, thanks for joining me today and welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to join. <laughs> yeah. So we Air Mule, right? The, a lot of things come across my desk. Well, I guess virtual desk, right? My email and, hey, you should check this out. Have these people in the podcast. Here's this new travel app or website. You know, they're doing this, this, this. There's a lot of stuff out there, right? And most of it's yeah, you know, I get curious pretty often, but a lot of it's like, ah, this is okay. Like this has some app applicability, maybe not to me, this and that. When Aramule first came across my desk, I thought, this is awesome. Like this is something <laughs> that I want to know more about that I'm sure other people want to know more about. So I haven't done too much research because we're going to unpack it a little bit here, man. But give me give me the basic background of Aramule. Like explain to people how this works. Yeah, absolutely. So we are an onboard courier uh, platform. So um, 
in the same vein that Uber and Airbnb are platforms. Uber doesn't necessarily own cars. Um, their drivers are contractors. Airbnb doesn't own any buildings. They're, they're simply a platform that acts as a broker between a rider and a driver or a traveler and a place to stay. Uh, our platform acts as a broker between um, our shipping partners and travelers that have excess luggage space. So um, essentially, uh, an onboard courier is an individual who will give up all or most of their excess luggage allowance in exchange for either uh, really cheap airfare or earning some cash along the way. But uh, we're just trying to help people sort of monetize an often wasted resource on their flights. Yeah. So if you've listened to this before, Jared, you know, like I only ever travel to carry on my one of my life's mission is like, guys, stop bringing like 50 pound bags when you're going on a five day trip to Italy. You don't need six pairs of heels. And, you know, guys like I used to carry basketball shoes around with me everywhere I went when I was younger. And I thought, <laughs> like, this is stupid. I played like once in five years. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I big, big proponent of just having a carry on. And so people who are doing that, this works really well for them, right? Because a lot of times on international flights, you might have one or two check bags, depending on, on where you're going. You're saying, hey, we can set you up with bringing some stuff that you won't, like you don't have check bags, so you can check these and then you're going to get paid for it. Is that essentially how it works? Yeah, basically. Uh, the, the great thing about international flights is uh, aside from one airline who I'll, I'll, you know, I won't mention them, but aside from one airline, uh, most international flights warrant you two free check bags. So you actually don't even have to pay for them. So a lot of times um, our travelers are flying with one checked bag or if you're flying for a business purpose, you're almost bringing nothing but a carry-on. So essentially it's it's yours, right? It's, it's your space. You're entitled to it. It's given to you for free. And if you're not using it, then why not make a little bit of money for it? So yeah, we will, uh, you know, when travelers list their platform or when travelers list their trip on our platform, there's, you know, a bit of a logistical process to meet them, but um, they can pick up their containers from us at the airport and then they'll check it in as a normal checked bag. And then at the end of it, we pay our travelers $150 per air mule travel box. That's what we call them, ATB for short. But essentially, uh, if you're flying with uh, only a carry-on, then you could be making more money on that flight. Yeah, so this idea of air couriers, you know, I in my head, I have this romantic notion because I've heard older people, people older than us, right, Jared, be like, oh, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, like, I was an air courier and I got to fly to Europe for free. And this is when airfare was even more expensive than it is now, right? We, we have the luxury of freaking flyer miles and budget airlines and all that kind of stuff. Back then, you know, it was, you weren't getting on an airplane for probably under 500, 600, 700 bucks if you're going international and, and probably a lot more. And so there was this idea of air couriers and I thought this is pretty neat. Air mules now kind of are, are looking to revive that and bring that back to the, to the forefront. What has been the response to that? Like I, and why did that, kind of dip away and go away for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This is an industry that has existed for decades. I, I love sharing with people at DHL, um, a multi-billion dollar shipping company. This is actually how they got started. So when they first started out in the 50s, they were nothing but a hand courier, air courier, onboard courier, hand carrier, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of different sort of phrases to relate to the term, but this is how they started solely. Uh, it's existed, you know, hand in hand with um, the, the commercial flight industry. It kind of picked up legs 
uh, in the 80s. In the 90s, it really exploded with the advent of technology and the ease of information. And then unfortunately, as I'm sure uh, most people will be able to surmise, um, 9-11 kind of sent the entire industry in a vacuum. The idea of, uh, of bringing someone else's thing on on an airplane after that, that very tragic event kind of, I mean, it, it, it shattered the industry. Um, it was really exploding. It was that there were, you know, New York times bestsellers books on, on how to, on how to travel for free and how to be an air carrier and things like that. So it took a bit of a while, but, um, fortunately things such as Airbnb and Uber, and I I don't want to mention them too often, but I think that has really helped in the process, because if we were to have started before them, I don't know how successful it could have been, but to be able to say, oh, you know, a lot of critics will say, so you're, you're carrying something for someone else on an airplane. What, you're going to sleep in a stranger's home, right? You're going to, you're going to hop in some guy's car that you've never met before. So it, it's, we, we, you know, so we're trying to bring it back, but the response has been great. Um, of course there's always going to be, you know, people who have questions, which we appreciate, but, um, people are really loving the idea of, of, I think people really gravitate behind the, the concept of, of monetizing a wasted resource. We have a lot of our users you'd be surprised how many of our users are very wealthy individuals own homes in multiple countries. It's just, they have that mindset that this is something that's going to waste. I don't want to waste it. I, I'm with you. I mean, that's the thing. I'm, it's great to get paid to be able to do that, but it is this idea that, Hey, this guy's bringing on two big bags. I care. I only bring on a carry on. I, I have the ability to do it. I don't want to waste it, you know, and I don't go as far as saying, well, I'm just going to bring check bags just to bring check bags. But in my head, you're thinking, yeah, I don't want to waste this. Like I have it. What can I, like, how can I make, make it worth it? And a lot of times, you know, that comes with for us buying stuff at, you know, wherever we are and bringing it back in a check bag or something like that. But I, I'm with you. It's, it's, the money's nice to have, but it's also the idea that you want to make the best use of every single part yeah, of your trip. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do like the idea again, as you mentioned, this this kind of shared economy concept. And it is much, much easier for you to explain stuff. And I think that uh, this happens with a lot of startups and a lot of new companies, you know, where you can say, like, we're the Airbnb of blank or we're the Uber of blank. And then all of a sudden people, it kind of builds a trust. They're like, well, Airbnb is big. Uber's big. I get it. You know, I, I've done them or I've used them or I've at least heard of them. So I'm with you in that it's. I, it's kind of cliche, but it's cliche for a reason because people understand it and then they're, you know, just much more open to that concept. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not really doing anything different. Uh, I mean, we're just, we're doing it a different way. Uh, the traditional OBC industry has typically served uh, lower frequency, but much more expensive, high value items. So for example, if you are the manager of a factory in Mexico City and there's this little tiny small part, it could be a washer for a lug nut or something like that. But if that part goes down and it's holding up the entire production line, you know that for every hour that this, you know, this this factory isn't running, that you're losing twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars or something like that. So typically that has been the industry that has been served. And so these people will spend five, ten, fifteen, upwards of twenty thousand dollars for a single door-to-door onboard courier, hand courier service. I mean you're not gonna go, you know, FedEx direct to try and get a part to to your 
to your warehouse. So what we've done is we've kind of just flipped the model on its head. We're now serving much more high frequency but lower value items. So rather than getting you know, 100 or 200, 300, 400 people doing this a year, you know, we want everyone doing it, right? You're not going to make $5,000 through our service. But, you know, the the ease with which, you know, you can kind of go on our platform and list your trip kind of lends itself to to earning at least a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. What are typical things that are getting shipped? Because like you said, I'm sure that's people's biggest thing is, all right, I'm carrying on a package. For a company named Air Mule. For a company named Air Mule. (laughs) I've never met anyone from Air Mule. Maybe they heard your podcast, right? But they've never met anyone from Air Mule. They're picking up a package at the airport. They're getting on a plane with it. Then they're then they're getting to that destination. First, let's start with what are things that are typically shipped that you see with Air Mule? I'm sure it runs a gamut, but is the you know you're serving a certain market there? Um, and then let's get into the idea of you know the questions that people have: Is it safe? Is it you know what should I sure. be prepared for? Things like that. Sure. Sure. So uh, the majority, the overwhelming majority of, of what we ship are typically e-commerce items. And I, and I will preface everything I'm about to say with uh, our travelers do receive digital manifests that actually have photos and descriptions of every single item in their air meal travel box. So uh, you will always be able to know what's being shipped. But what they will find when they check these digital manifests is typically going to be things like hats, shoes, clothing, uh, fragrances. We have a few electronics every now and then. Um, we're, we're currently open between um, the U.S. and China only. So if you can just imagine the types of items that are flowing between those two countries, it's it's going to be things like that. Um, so, yeah, typically clothing items, I'd say. So let's say I sign up and, and I, you know, you guys contact me. I put my trip in there and you're like, yep, this is great. Okay, you're going from – I saw you just opened up New York City. So, you know, let's say I fly JFK and I'm going to Beijing. Um, how does that work? Do I get that before I get that beforehand, before I get to the airport, I get a manifest of, Hey, here's going to be your air mule package and here's what's going to be in there and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what will happen is in, in, our shipping partners are all express service, express service shipping providers. So I say that because we will have travelers. We have trips listed as far out as, as fall of 2018 already on our platform. And so someone will list a trip, let's say in June of next year, they'll contact us now and say, Hey, uh, when are you guys going to let me know? Unfortunately, we can't predict <laughs> the shipping demand that far out in advance. So the, the majority of our shipping partners are, are shipping service providers or express shipping service providers. So typically we'll, receive those orders, I'd say five to seven days before the date of departure. Date of departure being the shipping date, of course, the date that you're going to fly or things like that. So someone lists the trip and then typically a week before their trip, they'll receive that automated email saying, hey, you know, your luggage space was sold, congratulations, so on and so forth. And then at that point, the manifest will be uploaded to the account after our team has been able to sort of pack the container, verify its contents, make sure that it's right, you know, idea, document, so on and so forth. And then we'll we'll go through the, the software process of actually getting it uploaded to the account. So they will have well in advance of a few days, well in advance of 24 to 48 hours, I'd say, to be able to actually review it. And then, yeah, when we meet them at the airport, we'll actually also give them an opportunity to, to inspect it, which is something, again, no specific names, but which is something that most onboard courier companies don't even allow their couriers to do. We actually encourage it. We say, please look through it. Uh, you know, let us know if you have any questions, point at an item, say, what is this? What is that? And, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be there for them. Very cool. That's a neat part because the digital thing is one thing, right? It's okay. Yeah. I, 
I guess I trust these guys to tell me what's in here, but the fact that I can open it up and say, all right, let's go through this. And, you know, I'm guessing if I did this a few times, you know, as you do it more and more, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I get that this is happening. But the first few times, I'm sure people want to know, want to see it, want to make sure, and and things like that. So that step then happens. I meet an air mule representative at the airport, and I get the packages, and then I just go through, same as I would if I had my own check bags, right? Then I, I go and get ticketed and, and put them in the check bag thing. Yeah, yeah. So we like to give those uh, that staff a fancy name. We call them our air mule concierges. Okay. Uh, they're the they're the people that are going to meet our travelers at both their departure airports and arrivals. So our, our travelers are never going to have to go outside of the airport to use this service. That's another sort of added value. It's it's incredibly convenient. You're not going to have to go somewhere and pick it up or deliver it off site. But but yeah. So w- once we meet them, uh, there's actually a really important step that takes place during this this meeting or the the pickup, I should say. We'll give them an opportunity to inspect it. And then after that inspection takes place, we actually seal each container with individually numbered security tape. And then we'll have both the traveler and the staff at the time sign uh, liability release forms. And essentially what these forms are saying is that from the moment this container is sealed, the responsibility for the items fall on Air Mule, which serves two primary purposes. Uh, it, it also, of course, protects the traveler in the event that customs has questions, they have required paperwork to show them, so on and so forth. But as a business, uh, it also protects us from having travelers try to maybe slip something inside one of our own containers and then blaming the company in the event that something were to get found out. So it's it's sort of a two-way protection there. But then after that is taken place, uh, they will go and check it in. And at this time, um, you know, they may get asked. I've used our service multiple times, and almost every time I've been asked, "Did you pack this? Do you know who packed this?" And uh, you know, the response that we tell all of our travelers is, "Don't don't ever ever lie in that situation. Just be honest and say I'm flying as an onboard courier with Air Mule." That should be all that's required but then if if the agent or or the the individual they're speaking with at the time continues to probe more then sure you know hand them the paperwork show them the manifest show them the forms uh, each ta- each shipment is is branded with an air mule tag so they'll be able to know but yeah that's basically it they'll check it in as a regular check bag it'll go through the standard process and then once they land um, they'll go to baggage claim they'll retrieve it they'll exit customs they'll meet our staff in the airport again and then that's about it then 24 to 48 hours, yeah. And like you said, everything happens inside of the departure airport and the arrival airport. So there's yeah, no need exactly. to do anything else, which is really, really neat. Um, and I think that that's a – you guys got that down, man, that system. It sounds pretty <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I'm looking forward to doing it myself now. I just got to get yeah, a flight over yeah. to China. Um, <laughs> speaking of of that, typically how big are the air mule boxes? Like if you get a – let's say you get a 50-pound allowance, it's fairly typical, right, for, for a check bag. Are they usually – that big or can it just range in in weight yeah so it's it, they're typically going to weigh about um 35 to 45 pounds and i'll say I'll, I'll give them a free plug here but we partner with a company called airtravelbox.com which uh they 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 are building a product that i mean the symbiotic relationship between their business and ours is is could not be more perfect they're essentially building um luggage containers that are more easily disposable than your hard shell suitcase so essentially a, a, a very 
thick reinstructed cardboard box. Um, so we actually use those or we'll use a hard shell luggage, the, the, the more traditional in case the items being shipped that particular day, uh, are, are typically more fragile, but, um, you might need a cart. You may or may not need a cart. Not always. They're like I said, 35 to 45 pounds, but our staff will always help our travelers. If walk to the counter with them, if they need them, be go and get a cart for them. Um, but yeah, again, you don't have to leave the airport though. So hopefully it's not too big of an inconvenience. What should people, if they are interested in this now and they're like, all right, yeah, I want to be an air mule. Like this sounds pretty sweet. Um, what are some things that they should be prepared for or, or things like if it's their first time doing, like are there things that a piece of advice that you would give someone that, Hey, this is your first time. Here's something that might make it go smoother. Or is it really generally just the stuff that we just talked about? It goes pretty smooth most of the time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it, it does typically go smooth. The only advice that I could give was just be on time, essentially. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like always good advice for going yeah, I, anywhere I I in really, an airport. I really don't know. I mean, um, you know, the other one would maybe, you know, have a car or something like I, it's, it's fairly seamless. I mean, we meet them, um, essentially once, once a traveler has listed their trip and once they know that they're going to be able to sort of act as an onboard courier with us, we end up putting them in a, a group chat through WeChat because of course in China, not everything is available, so we need to use a messaging platform that is available in both China and the United States, which is WeChat for those who know about WeChat. Um, so we put them in a group chat with the concierges here in the United States and the ones in China, the individuals that are going to be meeting them to drop off their shipments and actually pick them up from them. During that time, any specific quests, requests that, that are made are, can, can be made at that time. And so as far as the advice goes, I mean, don't hesitate to ask questions. We've had certain travelers say, you know what, actually, I'd prefer that you deliver this to my home the night before. So then we'll dispatch an agent to go and, and meet them the night before and hand it to them. I mean, we are very lenient with this, um, you know, with where we want to meet them specifically. But the, the worst thing that could possibly happen um, is when a traveler uh, – shows up a little bit late or anything like that. And then everything gets flustered. There's a lot of people and we don't want people to miss their trips. And again, we're a travel company. We'd rather you, we'd rather have you travel than not at all. But, um, and actually as I was giving that answer, uh, another one popped in my head, list your trip early. That is the advice. List your trip as early as possible. We do have travelers that list their trip a day before, two days before. That's a bit difficult. We typically recommend a minimum of five days before so we can get everything sort of you know worked out. And we're a startup. We're working on that. But uh, yeah, list it as early as you can. List early, list often. There you go. <laughs> and, and it doesn't cost anything to list, right? I mean, no, it's... Not at all. Okay, cool. So yeah, there's no... There's... Yeah. Yeah, essentially no reason if you're if you're taking these trips to to and you're interested. Now, if I list a trip and I end up not wanting let's say I'm going to China in 2 weeks and I list it right now so I'm, you know, I'm listing it a little bit early and 4 days before the trip I get contacted, "Hey man, your your space has been bought, this and that." And then 2 days before I think, "Oh man, I really can't do that. I want to check bags for whatever reason." Is that something like, is there a penalty for that? And how does that work if you end up deciding that you don't want to do it after it being accepted? No, we, we don't currently charge a penalty. And, and this has happened. This has absolutely happened. So um, we're, we're in the fortunate position that we have enough 
travelers, enough people using our service that when that does happen, we can easily contact the next courier. It's just a bit of a you know pain in the behind, uh, to be honest. But no, there's no penalty if you if you list your trip and then a day before you decide that you don't want to do this again, you've already been put in that group chat on WeChat. That'll happen probably three to four days before your date of departure. And so whenever those requests are made, they're made there. That's fine. All of our staff is alerted. So now the person who was going to be meeting you um, at, let's say, 930, once you arrive in Shanghai, knows that this deal is no longer being made. So, yeah, if you're going to do that, it's fine. Just, again, do that as early as possible. (laughs) Day of cancellations are a bit of a headache. And I am not suggesting, you guys, that you go and do that. But (laughs) just so everyone knows that that Airmule is working essentially as well as they can with the people who are who are actually t- the travelers who are taking up that service where it's it's free to list your trip um and and you guys will work with them so they're really you know if you're interested or intrigued by this idea like i am there's really no reason to at least give it a shot and and see kind of how it goes now i know you have routes at this point to china from from the west coast right la or is it a few cities in the west coast yeah so we have three major areas in the united states uh we in the bay area support san francisco oakland and san jose down here in la we support los angeles international airport lax and then in the greater new york area we support jfk laguardia and newark and then in china i'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce the names of, of all of the airports that we support, but we support about 16 total airports, most of the major international hubs. And uh, just important to know that you do have to currently be flying between the US and China. So for example, we do support San Francisco, we do support JFK, but a trip on our platform listed from JFK to San Francisco would not currently be uh, operational because again, our shipping providers are, are sending their items to China. So that's that's the routes that we need. Now, does it also go the other way? Do, is there air mule packages that need to be taken from China to the U.S., or is it typically just from the U.S. to China? So, yes, but in the spirit of transparency, I will say that at this current stage, the overwhelming majority of our shipments are from the U.S. to China. Uh, typically, uh, when I'm having my conversations with travelers about their return trips, I say it doesn't hurt to list a trip, right? It makes the data look good. Um, <laughs> so there's that part. But uh, at this stage, you just don't hold out too much hope because I, I do want to manage your expectations um, because even when those shipments do come up, we just we have so many people on the service that the chances of you being the specific traveler that actually receives those shipments is, is, is pretty low at this moment. But we're working on that. Yeah. Is there any... Uh, like you said, you're working on. It. Is there anything you can give us as far as all right? We are going to look to expand to different cities. I mean, is there any, or or is that kind, or is that kept secret? No, we we've actually just brought on board uh, a new individual who who is specializing in that um, specifically. Or so uh, we're hoping by the end of the year that our return trips are able to pick up as much as our as our departure trips because. On our departure trips, travelers that list trips along a supported route, our match rate is above 90, 90%. The only thing that really dings it is, as I said earlier, when people will list a trip a day before and we can't meet that demand. So then, of course, our match rate drops. But um, other than that, shipping demand is not an issue whatsoever. So we're, 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 we're really excited to get that, that open. So if you're listing five days in advance, you've got a very, very good shot at getting matched up 
with yeah the i i tell people it's you know if if someone tells you there's a 90 percent chance of rain tomorrow you're wearing a you know you're bringing an umbrella you're wearing a rain right so <laughs> that's that's kind of how I, I go back to it that's awesome so then and then when we talk about the the payment you said it's 150 dollars per box that you bring with you is that is that always a flat rate well, I guess it's always the U.S. to China, but no matter whether it's New York to Beijing or L.A. to Beijing or whatever, it's always $150 a box. So if you have two boxes, it's 300 bucks for that trip then. Exactly. Currently, our rates are flat across all airports. Um, we are looking into sort of you know modifying this as needed, but currently, just to keep things simple, it's $150 per air meal travel box up to $600 round trip. Um, currently. So we only allow our couriers to carry a maximum of four total. So if you're going from point A to point B, you can take two there, you can take two back. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the other, I mean, I know we've touched a lot of them, but there might be some other reservations or questions that you get quite a lot with with this idea of being an air mule. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you say that you get asked quite often from people who are doing it for the first time? Yeah, I mean, besides why we chose that name. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah, you can no, get into we, that too. I mean, it has some connotations <laughs> as like being a drug uh, mule is what yeah. I was thinking. But uh, no, um, we we often get asked what happens if customs decides to pay a duty tax, which which is completely fine. As as I'm sure your traveler or I'm sure your audience is you know experienced travelers, so they'll know that each country has their own individual declaration limit. I believe coming into the United States, it's you can carry up to. $10,000 worth of personal items before they actually start to charge a tax. So what we do is we ensure that the total value of each of our travelers, you know, courier shipments is beneath that threshold. So that doesn't become an issue. But if it does, for example, if the agent says, you know what, I think these shoes are worth $29 instead of $9. Unfortunately, we can't control what they're going to say. Um, so if that does happen, uh, what happens? And in the event that it does, our travelers will simply just pay it, submit it to us again via that that WeChat, that group, and then we actually reimburse our travelers. So that is, I mean, that is quite honestly the worst possible thing that could happen to you through our services is having to pay a tax that we actually reimburse you for. Right? <laughs> yeah. So. so pretty easy. Um, and you kind of you mentioned here that I, I do want to dig into the backstory of Air Mule, the name and and kind of how it came about. Um. Well, first, how long ago did you guys launch? How long have you been doing it? And then on top of that, how long before you launched and actually got the service up was this percolating in people's minds and trying to yeah. happen? Yeah. So um, our, 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 our co-founder, one of our co-founders and our current CEO, Sean Yang, he, he's actually from China. He was born in China. He was raised in China, came over to the United States, um, served in the U.S. Army, and then after that uh, began his sort of post um, post-service career in shipping and in china and in a lot of south south asian countries this idea of flying as an onboard courier is common common practice uh, especially in india actually so if you go to google trends and you type in air courier or onboard courier the majority of the demand for those searches are in india like the over not even close elsewhere and across the, so that that whole that entire region um, this is already baked into it albeit in a more informal way so it's you know it in those countries it's more or less a brother bringing his sister an iphone right or 
Um, and, and some more unfortunate cases, maybe helping out the family, bringing in supplies and goods and things like that. So this idea had been in his mind um, for, for decades prior to he had done it for his own family members. So he had been thinking, All right, I'm already doing this. There's already you know, hundreds of thousands of people doing this each year. Let's let's try and monetize it. So. So, yeah, he you know, we came up with the name and I'll say, you know, in his defense. Um, in China, the word mule actually has a much different connotation than it does here in the United States. Uh, a mule, if you, you were to call someone, you're saying, or if you were to you know, refer to someone as a mule, oh, that guy's a mule. He works like a mule. You're saying he's, you know, he's, he's dependable, he's reliable, he's strong, he's sturdy. And so granted, the other connotation does exist, but not nearly as much as it does here in the United States. So it's, it's, we, we like to have fun with it. I mean, we, we kind of have to own that. Yeah, and at this point, it is it, it is what it is, right? It's the name you're going to run with it. You guys are going to have fun with it, and things like that. Now, what was the point where it went from an idea to okay, we're going to make a go of this? Like this is something that we're actually going to try to structure and organize and really start. Yeah, so it was uh, in 2015, I'd say, and he actually it, it's a really awesome story. So. Um, we, we were founded in late 2015 and we started operating in early 2016. So in early 2015, before we were even founded, he actually, uh, he got a camera, he printed out this questionnaire and he visited a lot of local hostels in the area because obviously hostels are, you know, target key demographic for our service. And so he visited all of these hostels and he would pay individuals up to five to ten dollars if they would just answer these questions on camera. So, hey, I have some questions for you. Just goes to show it's like a startup hustle, right? So he he, he gives his friend, you know, fifty bucks. Come with me for a day. We're going to go to these hostels. We're going to interview these travelers. We're going to see what their responses are. So he spends you know months doing this, gathering enough data to actually show that 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 people would be interested in doing this. He got some funny responses, but um, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of those individuals were like. As long as I knew the items were safe, as long as I trusted the company, I have absolutely no problem whatsoever flying as an onboard courier. So then he took that, I'd say, mid-2015 approach, some investors. Um, we we were funded, and then you know the, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, that well, that is a quick turnaround from um, end of 2015 to actually getting rolling and, and having – do you have a date for the first courier? And is there like a little plaque on the wall or anything of like, here is our very first courier? You know, knowing that it was a startup, I'm sure it was probably a family member or a friend. But uh, I'm just going to go with, let's say April. I don't, I don't know when it was, but as you can, as you can show, that we 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 were founded late 2015. It did take a few months, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, around April. We don't have a date. It's a good idea, though. I like that actually. I'm going to ask. Dig, him dig about into that. the archives. I'm sure yeah. you know. I'm sure the co-founders know right away. They're probably like, yeah. oh yeah, that was my brother who was doing this. We paid him this. <laughs> you know, um, what were the major hiccups along the way or or i mean i'm sure there was some maybe they're not major but what were some of those getting this whole thing started because you are fighting against not fighting it that makes it sound in a bad way but you're working against a bunch of obstacles one of them being the idea that uh, you know people aren't usually carrying other people's packages on even if that was commonplace back in the day it's obviously since 9-11 has become much more strict and things like that were there times that you know, or obstacles that came about that you guys thought, oh man, this is, this is like a major roadblock for us. 
Yeah, the, the biggest obstacle has been education. I, I think every startup has its own challenge, um, perception, you know, word of mouth, or whatever it be. Ours is just education. People, when they hear about this idea, and we, we do love the emphatic responses we receive, when people are like, this is so new and awesome, I can't believe this. And our response is, it's, it's thank you, but this is actually not that new. Uh, we just have to... <laughs> We just have to educate people and let them know that this has actually sort of existed before. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really been it. Just letting people know, hey, this is an industry um, that's been around for decades. We're doing it a little bit differently. But um, as we become more of a, of a common name in the industry, that, that challenge decreases significantly. But at the beginning, as I'm sure you can imagine, it, it's just so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> people are like, well, what, what is this? Like, I've never heard of it. I can't find anything on the internet about it, you know, whatever, or, or anything like that. Does a lot of it come, like, does a lot of the growth, is it spurred on from word of mouth of people who have? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We, uh, <laughs> I am, uh, I won't get into specifics, um, around the numbers, but our marketing budget is very minimal as compared to what other companies are doing because we, we really don't we haven't needed to do uh, a lot of you know paid marketing or advertisements like this because of you know people like you thank you by the way for having us here but they hear this idea they think it's awesome they want to talk about it they share it but yeah the the vast majority of our current user base is coming from word of mouth referrals friends family members things like that so me I'm, i i heard it and i was intrigued but i've traveled quite a bit and, you know, this is up my alley and I'm always willing to try something new and things like that. But I feel like a lot of people would who would be on the fence, it'd be the type of thing that if I went to them or someone who'd done it went to them and said, hey, this thing's happening. It was really cool. I got paid this much money. They'd be like on it in a heartbeat because someone, you know, someone was who they trusted had kind of stumped for that. Been like, yeah, Aramie was cool. Whereas if they heard it just from a advertisement or a video on YouTube before they, you know, in a YouTube advertisement, they'd be like, oh, it's kind of cool, but this sounds a little weird. So I think especially for you guys, the word of mouth is so important because there is a little bit of, yeah, that that struggle of edu educating and people kind of in their mind might have a negative connotation or a negative feeling towards it right off the bat. Oh yeah, social proof. Social proof is huge. As as a marketer, um, I, I I do pride myself on knowing these things, and social proof is one of the cornerstones to to how a startup operates. I mean, you go to any any services page, and and it's going to give you the value prop, and then the next line might be some media articles, and then the next line is going to be how it works, and then the next is going to see what people are saying about it. So when you can actually see that someone else has used us, when you can see that there are reviews on our Facebook page of people talking about it, we've had so many people write into us and say, the only reason I'm using this is because I read through your reviews, and I saw that this is actually something that people have been doing. And, and yeah, at the very, very beginning, when you don't have that, it's such it's such a difficult process, but um, Things are rolling now. So. Yeah, it's and like also, that snowball, it, man. Yeah, and I was also going to say it, it doesn't hurt that there are you know 1.3 billion people in China. Um, so it's like if you can capture 1% of the American audience, fantastic. If you can capture 1% of the Chinese audience, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. exponentially larger than most countries. <laughs> there is a 
big and growing very rapidly middle class there that needs oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot or wants a lot and maybe not needs but wants a lot of clothing shoes hats like all the stuff that you mentioned you know i mean i've seen it when we're flying over to asia yeah people are just going bonkers at duty free man stuffing as much as they can in so um yeah it makes sense that they'd pay you know us an amount to get that stuff shipped over that that's probably substantially less than they'd pay if they had to figure out someone had to buy it here and ship it and things like that so um, very cool. Well, that that's Airmu. I want to I, I want to transition a tiny bit because we're not going to let you off this podcast without getting some of your <laughs> favorites and talking a little bit sure. about your travel because sure. you work for a travel company um, and one that's yeah that's I, I don't want to say again it's not disrupting an industry it's it's supplementing the airline industry here and helping people travel cheaper. What are some of the places that you've gone to and some of your favorite places that you've traveled? And on top of that, like. Has travel always been a big part of what you've done, or has it, or did you fall into the travel industry because you like this company and now it's opened it up a little bit? Sure. So I, I have a very common story within the travel background, which is I, I didn't do much of it, and then I just did a lot of it, and it completely uh, it changed my life. So I have uh, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit, but I also have no shame in admitting that I actually not, did not get my first passport or my passport, I should say, until I was about 25 years old. Um, I grew up when I was younger traveling in and around the United States, but it, it just wasn't a focus for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I didn't value it. And then um, I had a lot of friends who who traveled quite extensively, especially after college. You start getting a little bit of your own money. You can do things on your own. All right, let me let me try this traveling thing out. So I got my passport. And my first trip ever leaving the United States was a two-month trip around Europe. I did a two-month Euro tour. And I, I hit basically every hotspot that you could, London, Paris, Prague, you know, all of these, uh, you know, the, the major hotspots. Sure, if you were yeah, to go. yeah. The so two-month European trip. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. there, there's movies about it, right? You, you know sure. what that's all about. So uh, I came back from that experience, <laughs> again, very unoriginal thing to say here, but I, I came back from that experience a, a, a different person. I, I think before this, my life goals had been to rise to the cop of a of a corporate you know ladder and become the CEO of this big company and you know show everyone how important this businessman was and so on and so. And then after that, I, I I don't know what to say. I just I couldn't have cared less about that. I, I I wanted to travel more. I wanted to visit every part of this planet that I possibly could. Um, so uh, then, since then, it's it's just been a wild ride. I, I, I went to Monaco a few, a few short months after that. Um, went to Cuba, visited Iceland. I've been to China multiple times now. And all all of these prior trips were, were still taking place at this job in Silicon Valley that paid very well, but it, I was – I was quite unhappy with that entire experience, to be honest with you. It just it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, all I wanted to do was get out and about. So I started trying to see if there was a way to, you know, apply what I had learned um, professionally from a digital marketing standpoint and working at, at some other notable names in Silicon Valley, and then applying that for a travel startup. And I came across Air Mule on on AngelList one day, and. It, it, our name is a double-edged sword because I knew exactly, I somehow knew exactly what that startup was doing um, when I heard the name. You know, the sharing economy is a big term flying around Silicon Valley now, so I had seen that. All right, let's let's get into it. So I sent my sent in my resume. Um, took a five-hour drive on my own just to come here and, and from the Bay Area, come from San Francisco down to LA to meet the co-founders, interview with them. Um, and then from there, it's, um, I was, I was, I was fortunate 
that, that they decided to hire me. Hopefully they're not regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, we hear that and that story and similar to you, you know, my passport, I think I got when I was 21, but I wouldn't have, it wasn't like on my own volition. We were taking a trip to Paris. I kind of had to get it. My parents essentially forced me to go to Paris, which is very funny to say now, but that's how it was. I didn't care. I'm like, I don't have to go. They're like, no, your sisters and your cousins are going, you should really go on this trip. I'm like, eh, whatever. Like I could stay home for Christmas. Whatever. And they like, I had to get a passport and I did. Um, and then, yeah, since then, you know, it just starts the ball rolling and you think, all right, well, there's no turning back at this point. Um, and, and that, and that happens. And that happens to most people who, who do get out there and travel, whether it's, yeah, the cliche two month Euro trip, which it might be cliche, but is cliche for a reason. It's awesome. I mean, you're hitting up, you know, in a, in a span of, uh, like time and in a span of land mar- uh, area that's similar to maybe going up and down the West Coast or up and down the East Coast, you're hitting 15 different types of cultures and geography and all types of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a great story. And I think that once you get the travel bug gets its hooks into you, um, it's very hard yeah, to get out. And the fact that you get to, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you get to work for a travel company makes it all the better then. Right. Right. What are some of the favorite places for you that you've been then? Uh, well, um, Cuba was really interesting. I, I loved Cuba. So my, my mother was actually born in Cuba. She was born in Santiago de Cuba and immigrated to Los Angeles, uh, coincidentally enough, uh, when she was around seven or eight years old. So I got to go back to Cuba with some good friends of mine and see family that I had I had never seen before. Unfortunately, if, if you live in Cuba – it's not the easiest. <laughs> it's not the easiest country currently to to leave, uh, and so it was, it was just really really interesting because I was able to witness or, or or see my my essentially my doppelgangers, if you will. There's there's my grandfather and and his sister, and then my grandfather had you know of course my mother, and then there's our lineage here in the United States, and then his sister who still lives in Cuba, and then seeing her sons and daughters, and then their lineage. So I I saw, you know, I saw what I could have you know, potentially being in Cuba and, and it's unfortunate to say, but I'm, I just, I incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate to have done that. But Cuba was great. Iceland. I mean, no need to talk about that, right? That's that country's been, everyone is going to Iceland lately. Right. <laughs> um, so Iceland was great. I, I did enjoy Monaco, although it was, a, it was a bit expensive, but yeah, I'd say the top of the list sort of Cuba. And I, of course I have to say China, right? China. I, I, you don't That's have what? to say anything on here, man. You say whatever you want. China was uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, Shanghai was actually a lot of fun as well. Shanghai is basically uh, uh, the New York City of China, so it was really cool to to see all of that. Just with a, a, a bit more air pollution, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there any places that you've got on your hit list at the top of your hit list? The places that you want to get to? Tokyo. I, I have I have yet to to go to Japan. Um, and Tokyo, you know, it's funny. Tokyo is actually the fastest growing uh, for inbound tourism in in APAC countries since 2005, and for for right reason, right? That concrete jungle where they just say it's miles and miles and miles of nothing but you know buildings and you know it, I, I've been dying to go to Tokyo. All right, yeah, that yeah. was that was a qu- that was a nice quick answer. Usually people are like, well, yeah. I got this and this and this. You're like, no, that's just if I could be to Tokyo, Tokyo tomorrow, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. What about your biggest travel mishap? Whether this is like dealing with travel on your own or an air mule mishap, I don't know. But do you have a biggest travel mishap that comes yeah. to mind? So uh, this was actually on that two month Euro trip, and and the people that I was with uh, during this time. 
are actually good friends uh, to this day, very good friends of mine to this day, still keep in contact. So we were spending uh, New Year's Eve in Granada in the south of Spain, um, and we were trying to determine what we were going to do the next day for Christmas, where we wanted to spend Christmas. So we all decided to hop on a ferry and go into Tangier in Morocco because it's a 30-minute ferry ride from the south of uh, Spain into into Morocco. We figured, all right, we'll be able to, you know, cross another continent off the list, check out Africa, see what Morocco looks like. So again, having all been planned the night before on little to no sleep, we, we, we did not get the logistics in play. So we get the ferry, we get there, we spend the entire day eating great food, you know, hanging out with some of the locals, uh, having some good drinks. And then at the end of it, we decide to come back. So we get the last ferry, uh, you know, of course, call it American ignorance, but we just expected every place to be open. Right? Oh, we'll find we'll find a place that'll be open at ten o'clock at night or eleven, you know, eleven o'clock at night that we'll be able to stay. So of course, we land and it's it's almost like a ghost town. Uh, nobody's open, no lights are on. There's nobody even in any of these buildings. So we're scrambling from place to place. Uh, trying to, to find it. And it, it's a, it's a funny story because there was one place that was open and it was, it looked very much like an inn and you'll see where I'm going with the story, but there was one innkeeper in this inn on Christmas day. <laughs> and so we run in and I'm trying to negotiate with him in the best Spanish that I can. We desperately need a place to stay at your inn on Christmas day. <laughs> and unfortunately uh, you know, we just we weren't able to get together on that. There was no spaces. He looked this and that. But then we left thinking, like, guys, that that is the story. Right. Again, um, that is that is, you know, that's the story of what happened in, in you know, in Christianity as well, which we found hilarious. Just, uh, you know, trying to find an in. But so we, we all slept in a car. Uh, we were all very loopy. It was it was quite hilarious. I don't remember much of it, but <laughs> no sleep, no anything, and then yeah, we just continued to go. So no room the, in uh, the inn for you guys, man. Someone yeah, had else exactly. take, had taken your spot in the uh, hierarchy, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, of people who are looking for a a barn or an inn um, late night on Christmas. That's awesome, man. And uh, I think you're right. I've done it numerous times gotten caught a few where i'm like oh yeah stuff will be open no big deal we'll get here and then yeah you're like whoops not every place has like 24 hour this that and the other um tokyo does so when you head to japan you'll be fine because good when to I, know yeah tokyo i mean you sleep anywhere man i've slept uh, you could sleep in the mcdonald's you could sleep in the <laughs> internet cafes you can sleep wherever you want so there's never you slept a short... in a mcdonald's yeah i've slept Probably my fourth <laughs> night in in Japan. Uh, I actually didn't sleep at the McDonald's. I slept at the Denny's, uh, which is nothing like it, it's it's the same chain, like it's same branding, but none of the same food. There was no gla- uh, Grand Slam breakfast. It was like uh, weird okonomiyaki dishes. And on my fourth day in Japan, I had no idea what anything was at that point. But um, yeah, you sleep anywhere you want, man. So uh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You don't have to plan too much ahead when you head to Japan. Um. Awesome, man. Well, what do you have in the, coming up in the pipeline, whether it be personally or, or professionally, what's going on with Aramule? What do you guys hope to achieve that, that people can be looking out for? Yeah, so we really, we're really looking to expand Europe. Um, 
we, we want to get into Europe as quickly as possible. So we're hoping that that can happen by, you know, mid 2018. But then also um, Australia and Japan are, are right up there with places that we want to land. So that's all that is. And then as as far as personally, uh, I'm thinking about doing the Inca Trail in April with a good friend of mine, same friend that I went to um, Cuba in Iceland with. Uh, be my first time there, so that's a lot of fun. But I'm um, I'm all things Airmule. We're, we're we're growing quickly right now, so it's it's an exciting time, right? Um, I'm I'm really enjoying the work that I do now. So uh, it's it's you know I'm, I'm all systems are are kind of pointed towards this for now. It's it's really cool when you can, as you said, you came on first employee and you can be the person that starts that snowball rolling down the hill and then you're yeah. just like running after it, trying to <laughs> trying to keep up, right? <laughs> trying to keep up. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jared, thanks so much for joining me today, introducing us to this awesome concept of Airmule, everything that you guys are doing and just allowing people who who do have that space. And hopefully if you listen to EPOP, you're you're traveling just to carry on. So you've got some space to burn if you're heading to China and being able to even travel cheaper. Um, I just think that's an amazing, amazing option for for people. And you guys with your 90% plus hit rate, right? Uh, Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Remind people one more time, like if they're if they're interested in this, what should they do? Like where should they go to get all the information that they're going to need to to start signing up with Airmule? Yeah, absolutely. So www.airmule.com. There's a register login button at the top right hand corner. Go ahead and click there. Sign up. Let us know. You'll be on our email distribution list, which is where we announce all of our fancy sort of programs and where we talk about where we're going to be opening next. So even at the very least, if you know you don't have any intentions on going to China, you can do that. We also have uh, a referral program where we pay each of our users about 50 bucks for bringing on board um, anyone who is going to China. So even if you're not using us, refer someone who is, get paid anyway. So uh, yeah, www.airmeal.com. Thank you. That's awesome. And I will actually get it after this, get a referral link and I'll put it in the show notes. So if anyone there wants to do me Perfect. a solid, because I'm like, I don't <laughs> think I'm going to China. Maybe I will now at this point. Um, yeah, I'll throw that in the show notes but uh, and you guys can use it if you want. But n- no worries. Uh, airmule.com. Check it out. I, I'm just so excited that there's something this cool that's starting that's, that's really taken off because like we mentioned, um, I always had this fascination of, of this air courier thing, and I've heard people talk about it. I, I don't have a story of like, oh, my grandfather's telling me about it, but just people in the industry, right? Like, oh, I used to be a courier in the 70s and 80s, and I thought, you know, I thought it was dead. I really did. And um, when that first came across my email and I, and I saw Airmule, I'm like, yep, this is cool. Let's figure out more about this. So, uh, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you coming on, Jared, and and the whole team at Airmu. You guys are doing great stuff. I can't wait to to take you up on that offer. And like I said, now when China stuff comes across my email, I'll be even more ready to go. rock. Right there, we go. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Guys, don't forget, you can get the show notes at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows for, for this episode, for any of the 290 plus other episodes. Everything lives there, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. And thank you to our sponsor, Tortuga Backpacks. Remember, if you want to make money with Air Mule, you need some extra space. So if you're going with just a carry-on, check out the carry-on that I use, uh, my Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. You can find them at tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off whatever you get there. Thanks again, Jared. Really, really appreciate you coming on. I love, no one could see this because it's audio only, but I love that behind Jared is just a <laughs> stacks and stacks of boxes. I think that's very apropos for Air Mule. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. This was awesome. Really, really proud to be here. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Check it out, airmule.com. Um, thanks for the continued support. 
that makes us to this day the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.